0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Skiophonic podcast, the home of short stories for lifelong learners.
1: Hi, guys. What is Skiophonic? Well, it's a huge collection of thought-provoking short stories. They're true. They're fun. And as it turns out, they just might make you more interesting.
0: Skiophonic started out in the mind of an ER doctor looking for a way to learn while exercising. He was creative and full of ideas, but his voice was not well-suited for narration. So he teamed up with the latest AI tech and formed a collaboration that has blossomed into an audiobook, a mobile app, and this podcast.
1: You know, whatever the platform, these stories are the perfect way to fill those free gaps of time in your schedule with content that is both interesting and productive.
0: So thanks for joining us and please check out the website. That's www.skeophonic.com or download the app on Apple or Google Play stores.
1: Great. Now let's see what stories are lined up for us today.
2: Andrew? Hi there, everyone! In this episode of the Skiophonic Podcast, we focus on tales from wartime. There are acts of heroism and bravery, to be sure, but we also zero in on stories that put our humanity on full display. I think both men and women alike will find something here that sparks the curiosity. So hold on tight, because today we're headed into battle, as told through the sounds of Skiophonic.
3: The Chichijima Incident On January 8, 1992, President George H.W. Bush attended a state dinner in Japan in his honor. It was an event that would become infamous when he fell ill and, on live TV, vomited at the table of the Japanese Prime Minister. While this scene made headlines, the visit to Japan was cloaked in deep personal, historical, and at the time secretive, significance. You see, Bush had confidential knowledge of atrocities committed by Japanese officers during World War II that really hit home for him. Ever the statesman, however, he put the interest of the country first, promoted US-Japan relations, and left the secrets for others to reveal years down the road. Chichijima is an island south of Tokyo. It held significant strategic importance during World War II as a communications hub. In 1944, the American forces targeted it for a bombing raid, The squadron was met with intense anti-aircraft fire from the Japanese defenses and nine planes were shot down. The pilots were forced to bail out over the ocean, with only one of them managing to release his payload on the target first. This fortunate pilot's lighter load enabled him to glide a bit farther into open sea before ditching. The other eight airmen weren't as lucky. They splashed down closer to the island and were soon rounded up by Japanese patrol boats. The captured airmen were interrogated, tortured, and eventually executed. Shockingly, it was later revealed that some of these airmen were even the victims of cannibalism by the Japanese officers. These gruesome acts were apparently driven by a combination of desperation, the scarcity of food, and twisted cultural beliefs. The ninth pilot's escape from capture was nothing short of miraculous. After parachuting into the sea, he inflated a life raft and paddled away from the island, fearing capture by Japanese patrols. For hours, he floated, bleeding from a head wound until he was spotted and rescued by the USS Finback, an American submarine. This narrow escape marked him with a sense of destiny and duty, shaping his views on leadership, responsibility, and the value of human life. Who was this pilot? Well, it was of course none other than George H.W. Bush himself. The story of Chichijima remained concealed for years until a book was published in 2003 that detailed the incident. It was called Flyboys, A True Story of Courage by author James Bradley. Even then, Bush was reluctant to talk about it, focusing instead on his diplomatic efforts to strengthen US-Japan relations during his presidency. His ability to separate personal trauma from political responsibility allowed him to foster a relationship with Japan that was both respectful and strategic. The Chichijima Saga and President Bush's subsequent dealings with Japan illustrate a complex interplay of history, personal experience, and statesmanship. They paint a portrait of one leader's resilience, forgiveness, and capacity to move beyond the past. When a reporter once questioned him directly about the incident, the president offered only this brief reply. War is war. Chichijima happened.
4: Queen Boudica hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. William Congreve, 1697. How would you feel if your kingdom was forcefully seized, your family brutally humiliated, and your freedom trampled? Imagine the fury, the desperation, the thirst for revenge. This, friends, is where our story begins, with a fiery-haired queen who became a symbol of resistance and rebellion against one of the greatest empires in history, the Romans. Boudicca, and her husband Prasutagus. The king of the iceni ruled a tribe of britons inhabiting what is now east anglia in england their reign started in an era of relative peace but when the king died he left his kingdom jointly to his daughters and the roman emperor hoping to safeguard his family and the kingdom's sovereignty the romans had other plans they seized the kingdom flogged Boudicca, and violated her daughters this heinous act sparked a flame in Boudicca that could not be extinguished fueled by a thirst for revenge Boudica rallied the tribes of Britain and launched a rebellion in AD 61. Imagine a flame-haired queen in a chariot, her daughters at her side, charging forth with a fury that would shake the very foundations of the Roman Empire in Britain. Thousands upon thousands of warriors followed her into battle, their hearts filled with an unquenchable thirst for justice. Their first target, Camulodunum, now modern-day Colchester, then a significant Roman colony. Within a few short months, the Boudican forces had managed to sack Camulodunum, Londinium, now London, and Verulamium. Contemporary historians suggest that the death toll from these attacks could have reached as high as 70 to 80,000. But Boudicca didn't just destroy the cities, she burned them to the ground. It's said that the fires she set in Londinium were so intense, the scorched layer is still detectable in the archaeological record today. But Boudicca's rebellion, as vast and as fierce as it was, could not hold out forever. They were ultimately defeated by the Romans at the Battle of Watling Street. Her tale ends in mystery. Some say she fell in battle, while others suggest she took her own life to evade capture. Regardless, the legend of the warrior queen of the Iceni lives on. The story of Boudica remains one of the most enduring tales of resilience and resistance against oppression in the face of overwhelming odds. It paints a vivid portrait of a woman who, subjected to grave injustices, stood her ground and led her people in a revolt that would be etched in history, forever.
5: Operation Mincemeat. I'd like to introduce you to one of the great heroes of World War II. Meet Major William Martin. He completed a mission that helped turn the tide of the war in favor of the Allies. There is one important detail I should mention. Major Martin was dead. Now I don't mean he is dead now. I mean he was actually dead during his covert operation. Allow me to explain. It all began in 1943. The Allies were planning an invasion of Sicily, but they were facing a dilemma. Sicily was an obvious target, and Germany and Italy were likely expecting an attack there. So the British intelligence came up with an ingenious plan, Operation Mincemeat, a high-stakes game of deception designed to mislead the Germans into thinking that the Allies intended to invade Greece and Sardinia. British intelligence officers Ewan Montagu and Charles Cholmondeley were the brains behind this audacious plan. The idea was to plant false information on a corpse, dress it as a British Royal Marine officer, and let it wash ashore where it could be discovered by German agents. The key to this plan was to find a suitable body. That turned out to be Glinder Michael, a Welshman who had died from ingesting rat poison. His body was preserved in a specially designed canister filled with dry ice until it was time to set the plan in motion. Once the stage was set, the body, now under the alias of Major William Martin, was loaded into a submarine and carried to the coast of Spain, where it was released into the sea. Major Martin's new identity was crafted meticulously complete with personal items such as a photograph of a fictional girlfriend, ticket stubs for a London theatre, a letter from his father, and even an overdue bill. And of course there were a pair of secret documents in a locked briefcase detailing a supposed plan to invade Greece and Sardinia. The body was found by a Spanish fisherman, and the Spanish authorities, sympathetic to the Axis powers, passed the documents to the German intelligence. Fooled by the ruse, the German High Command redirected substantial resources away from Sicily to help protect Greece. This enabled the Allies to invade with little resistance and score a significant victory. The story of Operation Mincemeat is a unique chapter in the annals of war. It's a tale of cunning and audacity. So, the next time you reflect on the monumental events of World War II, remember Major William Martin, the man who never was and yet whose life and death played a pivotal role in changing the course of the war
1: the night witches i have a story for you straight from the history books That highlights a group of women who challenged the status quo and courageously proved that gender is no barrier to success. As female empowerment stories go, it's one of the greatest. Yet, I bet you've probably never heard it before. It's the tale of the Night Witches. In 1941, Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union in the early stages of World War II. The Soviet air forces suffered immense losses in the opening months, trying to defend against the surprise onslaught. By autumn, Stalin was desperately short on pilots and aircraft. This is when renowned Soviet pilot Marina Raskova stepped in with a bold proposition, an all-female bombing regiment. Comprised of women aged 17 to 26, the unit would fly harassment nighttime bombing missions against the Nazi invaders. And what aircraft would they use? Well, that would be the outdated Polykarpov PO2 biplanes made of plywood and canvas. They had no parachutes, no guns, no radios, and no radar. How did they navigate? A compass and the stars. At the time, the Soviets were open to women in combat roles. Besides, they had nothing to lose, so Stalin signed off on Raskova's plan. The Night Witches, or Nachthexen, as the Germans called them, made an instant impact in the war. Despite their ramshackle aircraft and scarce resources, they began to record stunning successes. To avoid detection, they'd cut their engines and glide over targets before dropping their payloads. The whoosh of their wooden planes resembled sweeping broomsticks, striking fear into German troops who could only hear but not see the bombers. Their most audacious maneuver was to invert the plane upside down, cut power then swoop in over their target, and drop the bombs by hand from the cockpit in the darkness of night. Now let that sink in and remember, many of these daredevil Nazi killers were still teenagers. Over four years, the Night Witches flew over 23,000 missions, dumping some 3,000 tons of bombs on Nazi targets. Their precision bombing of ammo depots, supply lines, and rail yards played critical roles in crucial battles. The Nazis despised them, issuing warnings that any pilots shooting down a Night Witch would be automatically awarded the Iron Cross medal. In all, 23 Night Witches received the Hero of the Soviet Union Award, their nation's highest honor. After the war, Their story was suppressed and largely forgotten. The tale of the Night Witches reminds us to never underestimate the underdog, especially when she is armed with wings, a wicked sense of direction, and the will to win a war.
2: WANDERING SOULS In the desperate days of the Vietnam War, the United States was willing to try anything to sway the course of battle. That anything included some outside-the-box thinking and a foray into psychological warfare. Let's delve deeper and learn about the haunting and eerie world of Operation Wandering Soul. The idea was conceived and executed by the United States military in 1969. The strategy was rooted in Vietnamese culture and beliefs, specifically the concept of wandering souls. According to Vietnamese folklore, the souls of those who die without being properly buried in their homeland are doomed to eternally wander in torment. The U.S. military sought to exploit this belief to sow fear and demoralization among the North Vietnamese. In collaboration with South Vietnamese forces, the U.S. created a chilling audio recording known as Ghost Tape No. 10. The tape was a montage of eerie sounds, cries of torment, and voices calling out in Vietnamese pleading with the soldiers to cease fighting and return home. These ghostly recordings were broadcast from helicopters, airplanes, and ground units, often at night under the cover of darkness to enhance their unsettling effect. The hope was that the sounds would strike fear into the hearts of the North Vietnamese soldiers, causing them to abandon their posts or lose their will to fight. Evidence suggests that the operation had some impact, There were reports of North Vietnamese soldiers appearing deeply disturbed after hearing the recordings, with some even deserting their posts. In one instance, a U.S. patrol reported encountering a group of North Vietnamese soldiers who were so terrified by the ghostly sounds that they surrendered on the spot. Another involves a U.S. patrol boat playing the recordings while cruising along the Mekong Delta. The following morning, the crew reportedly found offerings of fruit on the riverbank, left by superstitious Viet Cong soldiers hoping to appease the wandering spirits. The overall effectiveness of Operation Wandering Soul is difficult to quantify. While it undoubtedly caused some level of fear and confusion, it's unclear how much it actually influenced the course of the war. Operation Wandering Soul is a reminder of the psychological dimensions of warfare. Whether viewed as a clever strategy or a manipulative tactic, the operation offers a fascinating glimpse into the complexities of the Vietnam War, a conflict that, in many ways, continues to haunt us all. I'll leave you with some of the actual audio from Ghost Tape Number 10.
6: Christmas Truce. Have you ever thought about what it means to put aside differences, even if just for a day, in the most unimaginable circumstances? The Christmas Truce of 1914 provides an extraordinary example of such a respite amidst one of the most devastating conflicts in human history. Allow me to take you back to that unusual Christmas in the trenches of World War I. It all began on Christmas Eve when British soldiers noticed that the Germans across No Man's Land had started decorating their trenches with candles and small fir trees. The British troops watched in astonishment as their German counterparts began singing Christmas carols like Stille Nacht, Silent Night. Compelled by the spirit of the season, the British soldiers responded with carols of their own. On Christmas morning, a few brave souls ventured out of their trenches unarmed into No Man's Land, there, in the midst of shell craters and barbed wire, German and British soldiers met, exchanged greetings, shared food and cigarettes, and even played football. Imagine that for a moment, a football match amidst a war zone. Photos were taken, and stories about loved ones back home were shared. They treated each other not as enemies, but as fellow humans caught in the whirlwind of a conflict far beyond their control. This profound shared experience humanized the enemy, and for a moment turned the battlefield into a place of camaraderie and peace. How surreal it must have felt to share and commune with someone you just days before were trying to kill. This extraordinary truce was not universal. In many sections of the front, the fighting continued through Christmas. The high command on both sides did not endorse the truce. However, it was allowed to continue by the commanding officers in some areas who even took advantage of the mutual goodwill and used it to exchange prisoners of war. Unfortunately, the truce was short-lived. By New Year's Day, the fighting had resumed in full force. As we reflect on the Christmas truce of 1914, it challenges us to find common ground, extend compassion, and perhaps even sing a few carols across the trenches that divide us.
7: Hannibal Barca Allow me to set the stage. The year is 218 BC, and our journey takes us to the ancient Mediterranean world, where two mighty powers clashed in a conflict that would shape the course of history. This is the beginning of the Second Punic War, and the legendary struggle between Rome and Carthage. Rome at this time had become a formidable force. Having conquered much of the Italian peninsula, it was expanding its influence across the Mediterranean Carthage, a wealthy city-state in North Africa, commanded a formidable navy and controlled territories in present-day Tunisia and Spain. Carthage wanted to expand. Rome wasn't having it. Enter Hannibal Barca, the Carthaginian general who had spent his life hating Romans. His father, also a general, had even made Hannibal sign a blood oath, declaring Romans as his lifelong enemies. Now, in a move so audacious it is still discussed in military academies to this day. Hannibal made a decision to take the fight to Rome and, with his army, cross the treacherous Alps directly. His goal was to surprise and demoralize the Romans by attacking them from an unexpected direction, bypassing their navy and fortified defenses, and in the process, secure alliances with anti-Roman Italians. Accompanied by a force of 50,000 infantry, 9,000 cavalry, and 37 war elephants, Hannibal had to navigate narrow paths amidst freezing snow, withstand avalanches, and overcome repeated attacks from mountain tribes. Yet his careful planning and the dedication of his troops prevailed as they successfully crossed the Alps in just sixteen grueling days. Now imagine being Rome, expecting a seaborne attack, and finding out that Hannibal was already within your borders, and he got there by marching elephants over the Alps. The climax of Hannibal's military genius unfolded in the Battle of Cannae. Here with around 50,000 men, he faced a massive Roman army of nearly 80,000. Using a military strategy known as the Double Envelopment, he baited the Romans into the center of his formation, allowing his troops to encircle and overwhelm them. The result was a staggering victory for Hannibal, with about 75,000 Roman soldiers killed or captured compared to his 6,000. Hannibal's victories in Italy put Rome on its back foot, but he was never able to deliver the knockout blow. The key factor, as it turned out, was the lack of Carthage's ability to send him reinforcements. Eventually the tide of the war shifted. Rome's strategic decision to take the war to Carthage forced Hannibal to return to Africa. The Second Punic War ended at the Battle of Zama in 202 BC, where Roman general Scipio Africanus managed to score the decisive victory. Despite his eventual defeat, Hannibal's military genius, exemplified by his daring Alpine crossing and his tactical masterstroke at Cannae, cements his place as one of the greatest military minds in history. His tactical acumen continues to inspire military strategists and historians alike, making the tale of Hannibal Barca a story of daring, brilliance, and unwavering determination.
2: credits.
3: The stories, content, and narration in this podcast were created with the assistance of large language models like Bard from Google AI, Anthropic's Claude AI Assistant, and GPT 3.5 and GPT-4 by OpenAI. The background music was Inspirational Cinematic Trailer by Talekeeper Music and Motivational Guitars by Clemente Skripnikov both from Pond5 Productions found at www.pond5.com. The narrator voices were produced in conjunction with Eleven Lab Studios at www.elevenlabs.io. Special thanks goes to my wife, kids, and friends who provided suggestions and input throughout the project and put up with my incessant story writing over the course of 2023. Thanks, guys.
2: The end.